Peace. Welcome to another episode of Bootstraps. I'm your host, Anepriesian. So this episode is going to be a dense, deep, and fun uh, theoretical ride through marketing. So if you're already a marketing geek, you're probably going to really enjoy this episode. If you're not a marketing geek, you might be like, what's going on? I promise you, strap in, go along for the ride because you are going to come out smarter on the other end helping you understand a what marketing actually is and b why it's absolutely vital to your business's success and one thing that most entrepreneurs do part because they don't understand marketing or maybe in their past they dealt with marketers they thought were just uh full of bs is they'll launch their company with no marketing plan at all and what invariably happens is you start running into issues trying to scale and trying to grow. And then you have to bring in a marketer to help to figure it out because you can't scale and you cannot grow without marketing. Marketing is the growth engine for your company. So I won't belabor the point. Let's get into it. What, what was the biggest learning I think that you had about building a brand? while you were working with kind of like, for lack of a better term, no disrespect for the classic CPG folks out there. That's not even how it's meant. I actually think classic CPG marketers have to be better because it's harder to pull this stuff out. But what was the biggest lesson you learned in trying to make these non-sexy products seem cool and fun that that you've been able to carry on in your career? Probably a couple, honestly. the first I would say is I, I think from the outside for folks that don't work in marketing or don't have exposure to marketing, they view it as a function that is a cost center and sucks money out of the business. Right. Whereas uh, I think what I, I knew going into it, but what I clearly learned you know, when I was kind of going up through the ranks in marketing is done well, Marketing is the growth driver of the business. Peace, peace, peace. Welcome to another episode of Bootstraps. I am really excited uh, for this episode. Got the homie. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna end up being very professional. At some point, I'm gonna end up getting a little too casual. But a uh, good friend of mine and a, a marketing extraordinaire here. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? What's up? Uh, my name is Nick Lopezo, uh, Director of Consumer Engagement at, at Gatorade. Uh, live out in the, the Western Chicago burbs after spending a good amount of years in the city. Live out here with, uh, with my wife and, and one-year-old son, which is conversation for another day. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I have the, the pleasure of, of knowing you through the the Michigan fam and looking forward to, to diving in and, and chopping it up about marketing. Awesome. Awesome, man. So when you're out in the Western suburb, like how, this is a question I didn't even know that I was going to ask, but it's, it's one that I feel is kind of relevant to the stage that we're at now in our lives and in our careers is how do you feel that that impacts your um, finger on the pulse of culture? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, yeah, it, it doesn't help. Uh, let's put it that way. 
Yeah. Uh, it doesn't help in a in a certain sense, but it probably does in another. So, yeah, in terms of being on the forefront of culture and, and having your finger on the pulse, you want to be in New York, L.A., Chicago, Miami. Uh, but thankfully, just because I live in the burbs doesn't mean that I can't spend time in those places, talk to people in those places. Uh, social media plays a huge, huge role. Uh, I'm also not locked in the suburbs, man. Like I take a train downtown to go to work and all that. So, uh, so yeah. But on on the plus side, I know what it's like to go shop at Costco, load up the SUV and all that stuff. So like there actually is a little bit of uh, utility from a work perspective and understanding how maybe a different consumer and a different person goes about their daily lives. Look at that. Look at that marketing empathy at play right there. Got to spin it, man. You got to spin it first. <laughs> I respect it. And so, you know, at Gatorade, you guys just made some big, big noise recently. You know, uh, with the U.S. Open uh, just wrapped up and Serena wrapping up her career, you guys kind of caught everybody off guard with this amazing spot. Like, why don't you tell us just a little bit about like what was it like working on a spot? What? Do, how do you feel about, you know, the end result of it? Yeah, man. Uh, one, just appreciate the the props. It was uh, it was a a big task. I would say that we didn't take lightly. So within the walls of of Gatorade, for those that kind of pay attention to sports marketing and advertising, I would say the the example that we kind of hold on the pedestal and hold ourselves accountable to is the way we we sent off Derek Jeter in twenty fourteen. So amazing spot uh that team created got a ton of buzz ton of earned media uh so we were kind of holding that up on the on the pedestal for ourselves and we began conversations internally and with serena's team almost a year and a half ago on like how think about the impact she has had not only on the game of tennis but culture and the world specific communities like the list goes on and on and on, and there, it's almost an overwhelming, overwhelming task to figure out how you properly uh, honor her, right? So there were a number of, of twists and turns throughout that process. It was uh, a pretty amazing partnership between kind of my crew, our sports marketing crew, uh, those that are, are close to Serena on a day-to-day -day basis, um, and we're super proud of, of the output. There were some some long days, some uh, some uh, disagreements at times, but I think those sort of conversations. You're you know you've been in the marketing world for quite some time. A lot of times, the results of those conversations is what gets you to great instead of good. Uh, so you know pushing and pulling on on different people's point of views and assumptions. We had a very diverse team working on it, which I think helped quite a bit. Um, and the reception has been super positive. I think, uh, aside from just the creative itself, which we're really proud of, I think our, our go to market plan and, and the media plan behind it, when we launched it, where we launched it, uh, all those things work together for us. Uh, and I'm just, I'm grateful for the experience because, you know, we could chat 20 years from now and there might not be another opportunity for me in my career to honor someone that has the legacy that Serena's going to have. So it was, it was a pretty dope experience. Yeah. I could, I mean, I can only imagine, right. So like it is 
people speak in hyperbole all the time, right? Or they say things like, you know, once in a lifetime, or they throw around words like icon. But when you pull back and look at Serena, what she represents, right? Like I very proudly, um, I did this kind of tug in cheek piece, uh, 31 reasons why California is better than everywhere else, right? And it was supposed to be like, yeah, of course I did. It was supposed to be trolling and clickbait, but also then like, oh no, my, there's some really dope things about the state, right? And Serena was on the list. And, and when I tried to write this little blurb that was meant to be all 31 blurbs tongue in cheek, then it got like kind of heavy, you know, thinking about how big she truly is. Cause like, I, I'm a little bit, I'm what, one or two years older than Venus and then a couple more older years older than her, uh, Serena. We're from LA. And so I watched their career from when they were amateurs and people thought that they weren't gonna make it. They were in all the local newspaper and all the like the, the uh, backlash they got. Then I watched her grow and she stopped belonging to LA. Like Serena belongs to the world. She truly is an icon. And that's kind of where I was going with that long setup. You know, you put her up there with like, her peers are LeBron, Jordan, Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, and very few other people, if any, get to sit at the table of like her peers. That's how big she is. So you start talking about making uh, a communications plan and developing creative to honor the lifelong legacy of someone who's that monumental like yeah man it's 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 rare and i think the the beautiful thing as a marketer like objectively if i didn't know you from a can of paint having watched her career the entire way you guys did such an amazing job of marrying telling her story how it needs to be told but then tying it back to your brand ethos and really telling a story that impacts your business as well. And so uh, tip of hat to you, super, super proud. But um, I guess one question to go beyond just like cheering for you is like, how did you keep that so dialed? Like that that laser focus to like, make sure you tie it back to the business in a way that's not, that's not cheap and it doesn't belittle the spot because it, it wasn't yeah. over the head and it wasn't like you just put like a, 25% off sticker on it, you know, like you yeah. made it, made it we, work together. Yeah, it's a good question. We, we were very clear with ourselves early on that this piece was going to be about her. It was not going to be about us. Uh, and, you know, there are only so many times, at the end of the day, we're stewards of a business, right? We're running a business. There are only so many times you have the luxury of doing that because you got to move cases every day. Uh, but there are multiple ways to do that. And developing and articulating a strong point of view, especially for uh, a community in the world of sports, uh, that can help you long-term drive just as many cases as talking about electrolytes and fueling muscles and whatnot. And like all those things are important, but we knew very, very early on that one way to screw this up is like talk about the drink, right? So it, it was not about us. It was about 
honoring her, her legacy, her impact. And uh, I, I think the work lived up to that. So we're super proud of it and, and appreciate the props. Awesome, man. Well, well, kudos to you. And let's, 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 take a, let's take a step back coming out of that particular story. And I, the goal of this episode is to help people get a deeper understanding of what marketing is. Right? And I think that you are one of the best people I could sit down and have this conversation with. And I want to kind of bring people along. I feel like a lot of people, I had someone explain it to me like this one time. No one thinks they can be a lawyer, except lawyers. No one thinks they can do finance, <laughs> except finance people. But everyone thinks they can do marketing. And I think a big part of it is because marketing is so visible, like we see commercials and events and whatever, whatever. And I was like, oh, you should do whatever. And people don't really understand how marketing moves the business forward. I also think people, a lot of people don't even understand what marketing actually is. So in this episode, in no particular linear order, I want to try and bring some of these things alive because I want to kind of sh share some ideas in terms of how I'm building the 31st brand, but also pull from your expertise um, and how you've helped build multiple brands currently, how you're helping build Gatorade and to help people walk away with nuggets for folks out there who are trying to build brands as well. Because I think a lot of people are trying to build brands out here in the world and that's cool. There's fewer barriers than ever, I think, to build a brand now, except a lot of people don't know how to actually do it and want to help them, you know, as, as opposed to trying to force them into having to spend the years that we've spent in corporate America or to like downplay them, try and get some tools out there in a way that's digestible. So I want to just help people understand you and like, how did you, how did you get into marketing? Like what, yeah. what compelled you to even get into marketing? It's a good question, man. And, and I'll be honest, like growing up and even as I got into college, like I didn't know this was a viable path. Like I didn't know these jobs existed so uh it's been a, a sometimes non-linear journey for me to, to get to marketing I actually uh straight out of undergrad i went into the finance world so i was working in investment consulting with university endowments and foundations and this is 2007 2010 which was a horrible time <laughs> to work in the finance world right I somehow didn't get laid off, um, but I, I very quickly realized like this is a career is a marathon, right? And yeah, I can do this for a couple of years, but this is not it for me. Like I cannot do this. I was dreading going to work every day. It was, it was a slog, right? So thankfully, I worked at a company that was naturally kind of a, a feeder system to business school and MBA programs. And I saw, you know, peers a couple of years older than me making huge career transitions. And I was like, that's what, that's what I need to do. Cause it was my way out to be totally, right. totally honest. Yeah. Um, and for me, sports, like I grew up an athlete, I played everything always wanted to to be connected to sports but like how to do that in a way that didn't involve me throwing or hitting or shooting a ball was like right. absent me right and that wasn't gonna happen I wasn't gonna get paid to do that 
so I, I liked some of the like business aspect of what I was learning and working on in the investment world, but like I, I needed to pivot it to be more focused on just people and culture, relevance, all those sorts of things. So when I started uh, looking at business schools, I started to kind of hone in on marketing and the more and more I talked to people, just the more excited I got about it. And I think the simplest way I can put it is all of all of like the fun, cool stuff, for lack of a better term, that I saw out in the world was coming from a marketing function within, you know, a big or small company for that matter. Uh, And the ability, this is like so fundamental and probably not how most people think about it, but I had the ability to get paid to do cool shit. Like, (laughs) why would I not want to do that, right? So I could be on Excel building a financial model, which is incredibly important. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to be the best at that. Uh, And I don't think I'm the best marketer either, to be clear, but I think I'm better at doing cool shit than I am, uh, you know, at at that stuff. So um, that's kind of what got me into it. And then, you know, coming out of business school, worked at a couple different companies, did kind of a, you know, couple years stint at General Mills up in Minneapolis uh, with a couple of our mutual friends where I just learned the fundamentals of like CPG brand management. So how does marketing play an essential role in running a business, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, Moved over to uh, Constellation Brands, uh, alcohol company with a beer division is based here in Chicago. So I was leading the Pacifico brand, which talk about California. Pacifico is a a brand that's that's, uh, endemic to kind of the surfing community in, in Southern California. And then the opportunity to come over to Gatorade uh opened up it was the right place at the right time and for me it was like if i want to work in sports marketing uh, it's nike or gatorade to me right Right. and this was a mile down the road i didn't have to move so been here seven and a half years in a number of roles and uh, it's been an awesome ride yeah that's that's it's a great journey and there's there's so many pieces along the way like um, I think I have them all pretty clear in my head, the ones I want to kind of double click on. So I'm going to, I'm going to try and go through the journey. And if I get lost along the way, like screw it, we'll just keep it rolling. But one is, uh, when you're looking at business schools, right? Cause I think marketing plays into, if you look at like top 10 programs, top 15 programs, they all have their own brand, but that brand is not just like a, a logo and a catchword. They also did have distinctly different cultures that um create that brand the reason why the brand is what it is is because when you go there the people are very different like i have a a very strong bias and i'm i don't apologize for having it i think michigan is the best business school in the world but that's a part of it's because of the the culture of the people like for me i wouldn't want to i would not have wanted to go anywhere else now i can i can acknowledge like oh yeah i see why this other school may have this particular rank but for me, it was the best business school in the world. And that was because of its brand, right? Like you look at, you take Harvard, you take Wharton, you take Michigan, you take MIT. They all are different. They're, they're not, but they're, you know, top 15 MBA programs, but they all are very different. So what was it about, 
what brands in business school attracted you? When you were like, running. Like business school brands? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. The, there are three schools that I kind of, you know, I, look, I probably did the same thing as you looked at, you know, 10 to 15 programs to start. And the more I visited, the more I interacted with students, there were a number of ones uh, on both sides of the coin where I would visit and I would I sometimes would very clearly feel like, I don't know that I could come here and like actually be myself. Could I, could I function? Could I do fine? Like, yeah, but I don't know if I could really be myself. I got a distinctly different feeling when I went to Michigan and I didn't have to like put up a front of who I was or who I thought I was or wanted to be. I could just be myself, right? And I, I didn't have to prove to people that I deserved to be there. Or I was smart. Like it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't important, right? So there were, there were probably three schools that I got a similar feeling from but Michigan for me was the number one it was it was Michigan it was Kellogg and it was a school that will remain nameless that happens to be located in Durham North Carolina <laughs> I love it I love it so much uh and <laughs> I, I love that you also get to like a live your dream and continue to like have beef with that school, right? <laughs> like I think about the people who who went to Ohio for undergrad, but then actually had to go to Michigan to further their career for grad school. Like Ooh, I could slight, I slight dig there. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, is it is it really the other way around? I mean, <laughs> I guess maybe they have a decent med school, but still, if you got into Michigan's med school or Ohio's med school, I think you're going to Michigan's med school. So yeah, I am. I am taking a dig, but I think it's kind of cool that for you, you know, you guys have not picked up. You know, Nick went to North Carolina for uh, undergrads at Tar Heel, but then got to pass on Duke. Was it their business school, Fuqua? I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and go to Michigan. So now you get to remain like you get to hate them with like full venom. Because I always, I always think, I always think it was odd. Like one of my best friends at business school, uh, who wasn't a part of our our, our squad is this dude, James Simmons, he was in my section and he went, he went to Michigan State. He's Sparty through and through. And he hates Michigan, but he has a Michigan MBA, you know, diploma on his wall. You know, like that type of cognitive dissonance, I would. Yeah, I would I, uh, I'm, I'm married into, uh, happily married, but married into a strong, strong Spartan family. So I, I live that dynamic <laughs> in a little bit of a different way every single damn day of my life yeah i could i could i could imagine because the hate there is intense and it's focused so but i think the the piece that's in that is like what a brand is you know i always i always say i'm actually developing some stuff right now and it's like a brand is a set of promises that you deliver upon right it's and so you think about what ultimately set Let's say even a school like Kellogg, like so for people listening to this don't feel like it's a full Michigan fanboy session. Kellogg's a very similar culture to Michigan, and it's considered an elite marketing program. If you want to do, do marketing after business school, you want to go to Kellogg or you want to go to Michigan, those two kind of rise above all the others. And they make a set of promises on the type of professors they're going to have, the curriculum, the career opportunities, and also 
the culture and the people you're going to take your classes with, who's going to be your peers. And then they actually deliver upon that, right? Like you go there and you have this particular experience. We both have a lot of friends who went to Kellogg and what Kellogg promises on the front end ends up being the true experience while you're there. And so to that, when you're building a brand, you know, you make the set of promises and then you have to deliver upon them. And so if you think about your career as you come out on the back end and you say you go to a place like General Mills, similar to you, I, I grew up in marketing in uh, classic CPG where you have to sell these products that are kind of boring, right? And you need to figure out a way to make them fun. Like this is, when you, when you compare them to, I also worked in wine or you compare them to like, I mean, you worked, you worked in spirits or alcohol, like high-end luxury retail, like, you know, LVMH and the stuff that like they're doing compared to like, you know, what I did when I was trying to figure out how to make people fall in love with Pine Saw. Like <laughs> Pine Saw is a little, little, little boring compared to LVMH. But I'll, I think the flip is, how do you make these brands that you can look at at one level and call boring? How do you make them fun? Because you are going back, have this thing circled here, like want to do cool shit. Like I did super cool shit when I was on Pine Saw, you know, and I'm sure you did some cool stuff while you were um, at General Mills. What, what was the biggest learning I think that you had about building a brand? while you were working with kind of like, for lack of a better term, no disrespect for the classic CPG folks out there. That's not even how it's meant. I actually think classic CPG marketers have to be better because it's harder to pull this stuff out. But what was the biggest lesson you learned in trying to make these non-sexy products seem cool and fun that, you, yeah. that you've been able to carry on in your career? There's probably a couple, honestly. Uh... The first I would say is I, I think from the outside for folks that don't work in marketing or don't have exposure to marketing, they view it as a function that is a cost center and sucks money out of the business. Right. Whereas uh, I think what I, I knew going into it, but what I clearly learned, you know, when I was kind of going up through the ranks in marketing is done well, Marketing is the growth driver of the business. And to a certain degree, and I think all the functions are incredibly important, but like, especially for some of these big brands, if you don't have good marketing, you don't have a business. So those two are, are inextricably linked. I think the second I would say uh, is, again, for those that don't work in marketing or don't have exposure to marketing, I think there's often this belief that marketing is advertising and advertising is certainly a piece of marketing or advertising is, or, or marketing is the logo, right? Brand is the logo. That's, that's an expression right. of your brand and what you stand for. But as a brand builder and as a marketer, what I, I think learned fundamentally at, at you know, in some of those early roles that I had is ultimately brand is, every expression of a connection that you have with consumers. So that might be advertising, that might be your uh, brand design and your logo, but it's also how the packaging feels in your hands. It's 
the innovation pipeline and the new products that you're developing, it's retail theater and how you're showing up in store, it's uh, partnerships that you might have, it's the experience that uh, someone has when they go to your website or they go to your social at this point. So there's so many different touch points that play into to marketing and brand building. And to your point earlier, it's a set of promises that you're delivering to a consumer and you have to make sure that all of those things are working because if someone has one bad experience in any of those touch points, deuces, right? Like there's so many options out there. Um, and the third thing I would say that I think is incredibly important and it goes back to the, the cool shit <laughs> for lack of a better term is like, who are you serving? Who is your audience? Who is your target consumer? Because what's cool for me and what's cool for you might not be cool for someone else that's part of a different cohort or, you know, just a, a different consumer target. So the first brand that I worked on, I was, I was managing Pillsbury Crescent Rolls, right? Like I could not give two shits about Pillsbury Crescents. I still, to this day, right. do not give two shits about Pillsbury Crescents, but I was not the consumer. I was 27 year old single dude. I was not the consumer. So like I had to take my personal bias off and figure out like, all right, so the the target for, you know, our, our brand was, you know, a, a rushed, hurried mom with, you know, a couple kids, like all she's worried about every day is how she's gonna put dinner on the table and find out how she's gonna fit in, you know, the ability to cook and, and feed her kids and feel good about it. So like, once you start to put yourself in that, that mindset of who the target is and, and develop the empathy for that consumer, you could start to figure out like, all right, what's cool for her? It's the ability to pop open a, a can of crescent rolls and make a meal for your family in 15 minutes. Like that's right. cool for her. So um, I think those are probably the three main areas that I learned and have, have taken away uh, throughout my journey. And, and thankfully working on stuff that, uh, I'm a lot closer to the consumer these days. <laughs> Absolutely. And so it's like, so you get beyond the noise, right? Because I think people, you talked about some folks see marketing as a cost center, but no, it's the revenue. It, it drives all the revenue in the company. And that's absolutely true. I mean, there's a, I can sit here and litigate this case a thousand times over. I would win it a thousand times. But one factoid I would throw out there is like, you know, Wall Street, if you're a publicly traded company and you, if you're if you're in a packaged goods space, for example, right? So you're you're a brand. You're a business. You you sell to end consumers. There's a benchmark of how much of your net revenue you're supposed to be plowing back into the business via marketing. And if you're not meeting that benchmark, your stock gets beat up, regardless of what your revenue and profit were for that year. You could have historic revenue and historic profit. But if you're not in reinvesting back into marketing, your stock is going to get beat up because they know that your business is going to fall off within three to five years. It's just it's just coming at some point in the, in the relative near future because marketing is not a cost center. It is a thing that keeps the business going. But to, to that end, people see the best part of the best parts of marketing get more attention 
than anything else in the company, right? So if you run a TV ad, then it's just kind of like everywhere. People are like, oh yeah, I know what company you work for. I saw your commercial on TV. And if it's a really big brand, it's like, oh, your commercials were in the Super Bowl or the NBA finals or whatever it may be. And so there's that bit, which I think brings about a little bit of uh, resentment and or just lack of understanding. They just focus on like the bright, shiny thing. But the, the last point you made I think personally is, is the, is, I guess square one is, is how I'll put it. Cause I don't want to, the other points are just as important, but I think it's square one for marketing, which is empathy, right? Like it's, it's not about you. And I think you got an amazing gift working on a brand where you weren't a target consumer at all. And I, I still find it shocking in my career the number of marketers I come across who are self-important, like they're talking to themselves or trying to solve their problems. Similar to you, my first brand, my first big brand was Pine Salt. So I'm a 30 year old bachelor living in a high rise condo, like living that life. And I go to work every day trying to figure out how do I solve problems for a, a core consumer who's median age is 45 to 55, has two to three kids, and they're obsessed with cleaning. Like, that wasn't me. I was going to bars four nights a week. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that, being able to figure out how to come in and understand that woman and what um, motivated her, what drove her decisions, what, and not come with some like, ignorant stereotypes because even I still remember it's burned into my head that woman she cleaned for herself for her sense of peace it wasn't out of this like motherly shackled oh I must martyr myself for my family like no for her the part the pine salt consumer she cleaned for herself she could not be at peace internally if her house was not in particular order and she didn't know it was clean getting good at putting myself in someone else's shoes and understanding them from their perspective, what are their needs, wants, problems they're trying to solve, what are their hopes and aspirations, what music they like to listen to, what are stressors in their life. Having that empathy around products for you as Pillsbury Crescent Rolls for me was Pine Salt Floor Cleaner. Then when I went on to something sexier and I was running the La Crema brand and wine, that was a lot easier. Or then when I finally got to something that was in my sweet spot when I was working at Cliff Bar, now that finally got me into sports, I'm a jock like you. Then it's, it becomes um, like a superpower, right? Because you have all this information at your disposal, but you also have this discipline and these practices of making sure that you're not making stuff for yourself, right? You're making stuff for your strategic consumer so you can actually grow the business and be a revenue driver. So I, I think that's, if you like a little, like take, if you're listening to this and taking notes, for a brand that you're starting, you need to know who your consumer is and solve their problems. And if you're talking to yourself, now you're just hoping that there's enough of you out there, enough people out there that are just like you, that's, uh, it's enough of them to, to sustain your business. Because, you know, marketing is um, solving problems for a set of consumers better than anyone else that's out there. 
so you can actually drive revenue. And I personally don't use hope as a strategy. So then, I, you know, I lean, in, I lean into marketing. So I, I appreciate my, One of my favorite bosses ever actually worked for her at General Mills. One of the first things she told me was hope is not a strategy. <laughs> so that rings true. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it, it's it's definitely not. So this kind of segues us into the next uh, area I wanted to pick your brain on. It's like, what makes good marketing for you, right? So we've had this conversation, you said it's a set of promises, right? And you have to deliver on all of them. But um, what, what do you, how would, because good marketing could be really varied depending on the industry that you're in. So I don't necessarily think there's any one answer. If we had 10 marketers in a room, we might get 10 different answers. But for you, what, what makes good marketing? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I tend to, my world today is, is mostly focused on what I think people from the outside would consider advertising. So I, I tend to look at it through that lens today. The first thing I would say, and this spans beyond just advertising for sure, is what you, you your expression of something needs to be based off of uh, an insight or a truth that's going to resonate with your target, right? So it goes back to the conversation we just had of, of empathy and a deep understanding of your consumer. Like if you don't know what makes them tick, then nothing else is gonna matter. So that's, that's part of it. Two, I think is, um, is it's important, but very, very hard to make something simple. And I think the best marketing is very, very simple. Um, you know, there's, I don't know who to attribute the, the saying to, but, you know, I, I wrote you this, this long letter or this long email because I didn't have time to make it short, right? And if you think about how people live their lives today, how many different marketing touch points there are, and how many messages you're exposed to every day, like people don't have time to understand this super intricate detailed message that you have like you got to drill it down to you know a very salient clear expression so that's that's part of it um and then i think as you think about you know product marketing for lack of a better term so whether that's for an apparel brand whether that's for a cpg food brand a car brand it really doesn't matter you can need to stand for more than just features and benefits, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at the brand, like take Nike, for example, and I hate to use Nike in a marketing conversation. Them and Apple are like the cheat codes, but Nike, Nike's not talking for the most part about these Jordans are going to make you jump higher and the midsole is made with this type of foam or, you know, Apple's not talking about the amount of RAM and the new MacBook, like it's all about what, what these products signal about you, how they allow you to express yourself. Uh, so once you're able to take it to that higher order, I think that's where you can really uh, take off in terms of marketing, but it's not easy to do, man. It's really, really easy to fall into the trap of just talking about, you know, we got a V8 engine and power windows and all that sort of stuff. Right, right, right. And that was funny. I, that that answer, I was fighting so hard. I was, at points, I was literally biting my tongue. 
couldn't agree with you more. And there was all these moments where I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wanted to get your words out of your mouth and not interrupt you. And I, I think the thing about simplicity, I too um, first heard this quote when I was a first year associate. So I was working on Pine Saw and I heard the quote, if I would have had more time, I would have written less. I wrote it down and it has been one of my like organizing little maximum quotes every time anyone who's ever worked for me, they've heard it kind of ad nauseum. I'm sure if they did like a, a roast of me, if you got all of my former employees into a room and they roasted me, that would be on there somewhere, like making fun of me because I would say it so much. But there's also, there's a, a, a profound truth in it. And so if you, you know, you brought up Nike, I actually use, I've used Gatorade long before I met you and all of my uh, case examples when people say, tell me about a brand, you know, cause I'm, I'm dead set in you guys target demographic have been my whole life. Even now that I've kind of aged out of it, I'm still it, you know, cause it's just attitudinally it's where I'm at. So you look at, is it in you, for example, like that's simple, mm -hmm. four words, but those four words, I don't even know how long it took for you guys to get to it. Just like Nike's just do it. You know, it took them a long time to get there. You can't just look on the surface and mimic something. You have to understand the truths and the set of promises that need to be delivered before you get to this like overarching, very simplistic, is it in you, right? Mm -hmm. And excuse me if that, I don't know if you guys have moved off from that tagline or not, but yeah. I wish I could take credit for it. We've moved on and I didn't develop it, but I agree with you. It's amazing. <laughs> Fair enough. But you know, you, you look at being able to get down to this fundamental truth. Um, and then you use this word that says resonates. You have to stir up emotion, right? To your point, mm -hmm. you don't, you don't, you don't buy a set of benefits. It's kind of like, or you don't, you don't buy a set of features. I, I, I use the analogy of the features as, as maybe being, um, you know, uh, like your resume to get you the interview, mm -hmm. right? Like, you, like they're, they're, some people use the term in the industry, they call them walking attributes, right? Like if, if I'm looking for, I mean, the, this hoodie, for example, I'm super proud of this hoodie. I'm glad that I created it. There's like all this stitching and materials and there's this long list of features I can talk about, about how it's constructed and why if you bought one 15 years from now, maybe once the artwork is faded, this hoodie still is gonna be in really good condition. But those are like walking attributes. That's still not gonna get you to buy a 31st hoodie. Then it's like, what else do we stand for? What emotions do we stir up in you? um as a brand and and do they align with who you are right and so as someone who played competitive sports going back to always using the Gatorade example whenever I would do interviews and I have to build mock case because I played competitive sports I still have that side of me so I stopped playing competitive sports or I guess American competitive sports at 18 when high school ended mm -hmm. but it's it's still part of like who I am and how I move to this world and so the brands, the, all that competitive energy that's in it, like, is it in you that any, any challenge I face, I still approach it psychologically in the same way. So when I see you all's commercials, they resonate with me in a particular way. 
and other people they can't they can't take that space there's vitamin waters come along and I mean, they're cool but they, they can't hold that same space um, in my life that Gatorade holds so whatever brand that people are out there building you know me as someone who's building 31st for example from the ground up the space I'm trying to hold is kind of akin to Gatorade, but from an apparel standpoint, you know, our tagline is be a bear about it. And it's, it's about that quiet confidence that you need to have to live an authentic life. Like screw trying to fit in with folks, be who you are. And so those are a set of promises we're making as a brand and as a business. And we're trying to make sure we deliver on that in every step we, we take. And then when it comes to our communication, that's, those are the emotions we're trying to bring up. Right. It's it's that quiet confidence. It's not so it's not a loud roaring bear. It's a stoic calm, like this is where I'm going, this is what I'm trying to do. So whatever brand it is out there that people are trying to build, you need to understand that you have to bring about emotions and not just talk about, oh, well, this this cotton was grown wherever. Like no one really cares. 100 percent That's 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 what's up. And so when you when you think about um trying to stir up emotions where you have like this set of like, yeah, this formula that's been around forever. And like, well, at least for me, like I know the story of Gatorade pretty, pretty well, like, cause all the commercials and being a jock, like it was started at the University of Florida for the football team, they were cramping and there's electrolytes and da 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 replenish faster than water. And like, you guys have to elevate above that what um what are some of the key elements because you still have to i guess what i'm getting is you have to um prove that you're not just blowing smoke right so what are some of the key elements to being able to evoke emotion in the gatorade consumer beyond electrolyte yeah i i think part of it we are very fortunate to be a brand that exists within the world of sports and that is not lost on me so if you think about you know things that naturally evoke emotion uh motivate people uh you know become outward expressions of passion like sports is is close to if not at the top of the list so we're already starting at a very solid point, uh, which I had nothing to do with, right? Like I'm, I'm just a benefactor of, of how this brand has been built over the years. But to your point, I think one of the ways that, that we think through it uh, that I think is important is not every piece of work needs to deliver on everything, right? So be very singularly focused in terms of what the goal or the objective of you know, a particular piece of creative or, or whatever it is. So there are certainly uh, points in time, and that might be through advertising, that might be through educating coaches and, and athletic trainers. Like we are going to need to educate people on the functionality of our product. That is a given. However, uh, we also need to make it clear that we stand for something larger than that. And, and what we stand for the end of the day like our mission is to is to fuel athletic performance right like we want you Neff, to be the best athlete you can possibly be and we also believe that the 
athlete that you become on the field of play or, or, you know, wherever your field of play is, makes you a better person in the world. It makes you a better uh, employer, entrepreneur, husband, father, wife, sister, daughter, whatever. Uh, and as we, as we start to storytell around the impact that sport can have on individuals and the world at large, that for us is when things start to get really, really exciting. So yes, there are electrolytes and carbohydrates and Gatorade thirst quencher that's going to allow you to fuel yourself in the fourth quarter and not cramp up. And, and that's important, but what does that then allow you to do? And like you go down that line and that's where, where things start to get really exciting for us. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, you know, classically, and we won't get into it here, but I think of, uh, I, I grew up and I supposed to execute off of a brand pyramid, right? Where you have your very basic fundamental things down at the bottom, and then you get more emotional in the middle and you get aspirational at the top. And depending to your point, which still ultimately goes back to empathy is like, what is your objective? Like, what are you trying to achieve? Like, and who's your target? So if you're dealing with someone, say, who's new to the brand or they're more in the, if you're more in the performance arena, then maybe you need to really talk about the formulation and like the basic functional benefits. Like, I don't know what rock they may be living under, but say they were living under a rock and they didn't know about Gatorade. And so you need to help them understand like, what does your product do at a fundamental level? And trying to like bring some fancy bells and whistles or uh, talk about, you know, just the lifestyle of some iconic athlete, like there's, there's going to be a disconnect there. So you have to start with those folks and you have to, you have to meet their expectations and kind of bring them along to achieve, achieve your object, objective. And so I'm trying to like step this stuff out because I think what Nick's offering in this episode is kind of like a masterclass in marketing. There's these key points he's hit that I feel like full chapters can be written about as a marketer in terms of how to do it. But I think the, if you're trying to, if you're looking for a bite-sized takeaway, um, where it's like not every piece of marketing needs to achieve all things, start with what is the objective? Like, what are you trying to achieve and who's your target with this particular marketing execution? And then only deliver on that. Because I, people don't, I'll tell you right now, people don't love your brand as much as you love it. You might think people spend hours and hours pondering all the slightest nuance and this different shade of blue, or whatever, like they don't, right? So you need to hit them with that simple message that really resonates with them deeply and then move on about your life. And so if you're trying to hit them with a thousand different things, hell, if you're trying to hit them with three different messages, you're gonna lose, right? They're not gonna know what to focus on. They're gonna move on to the next thing. They probably got seven unread messages on social media or mindless scrolling they need to do on TikTok or emails, or they got all these other errands they have to run. Like if you get a chance to get someone's attention, you need to hit them with a very clear, meaningful, uh, use, use the word resonate. You need to hit them with a very clear message that resonates with them and their life and what their problems are. Um, that said, to, as we start to wrap up this episode, 
I'm being long-winded about what advice I have for folks who are trying to start a brand from the ground up, but like you've proven the biggest stages you can kill it at marketing. What advice would you have for folks who are like, yeah, well, I'm not at Gatorade. I don't have Gatorade's budget. I don't have, you know, Serena Williams or all these different elite athletes as partners. Um, how could I build a brand? Like you brands, like brands are built all the time from the ground up. And so we'll love um, Nick for you to give uh, what you would prioritize. Yeah. If you build a brand from scratch. Yeah, I think it all goes back to a lot of the, honestly, the points that we've, we've touched on and being very, very clear with who you are serving, why you exist and what problem you are trying to solve. And, you know, working on a brand like, like Gatorade, we're a $6 billion retail sales brand, right? So there is a certain amount of scale that we are naturally going to need to drive in order to move the business, right? So you got to spend so much in media, you're going to need to partner with the biggest names and sports and whatnot. That's not realistic for a, a upstart, you know, brand, right? At least for most, for most of them. Uh, so be very, very hyper-specific on the community that, that you want to serve. Uh, and that can actually think it's beneficial for it to be hyper-specific and niche to start because you can get very, very clear on what really matters for them. And if you can crack the code on what matters for them and how you are helping either solve a problem for them or allow for an outward expression of who they are, they're gonna then talk to their friends about your brand and they're gonna advocate on your behalf. And then that will become a, a cycle that if done right, can work very, very hard for you. So. Um, yeah, be, be hyper-specific on, on who the target is, why you exist, what problem you're trying to solve, and uh, just be hyper-focused. Yeah, I, I dig it. I think that the, I, I never thought about it this way until you just said it. You know, we were talking earlier about focus on that one thing, like what is, how do you simplify and get down to that core message? It's harder when you come in and you inherit a business that's already doing whatever scale it is from you know a couple hundred millions to the billions of dollars, but it's not performing well. You're now the new brand manager, director, VP, and you have to fix this ailing business, but you're already big. Mm -hmm. It's harder to figure out what that simplified message is when a, when a brand starts to break or lose its way at that scale. When you flip it, when you're small, it's, yeah, you don't have the budget. Yeah, you don't, you don't have all these amazing partners that you can just like sign a contract with and have them come be your spokespeople. But the positive with that is you can really dig deep on figuring out what is that core human truth. If you were small and Gatorade was starting from like scratch and say your person out who's out here listening, your entrepreneur who has this idea, you come to understand that there's this double entendre around you need hydration to perform and you also need this willpower, this spirit, this competitive edge to perform. You need those two things. If you don't have them, you will not be successful. 
then when you unlock that, that is the thing that people are looking for from you. And you're focused only on basketball players, say, for example. Then you can then look up and say, well, who else competes and needs hydration? Almost everyone who plays sports. So now you have your path to scale and this, this, this um, organizing kind of central theme or Nike, they did it with just do it, right? Which was kind of similar where they, they, they figured out, but they focused less on like the ingredients they get from pure emotional. It's like, I think for Nike, it was the biggest impediment for runners was the first mile, like just getting up and getting started. And then once they got up and got started, then they'd run forever. They say if, if their, their schedule was to do a 10 mile run that day, just getting started was the hardest thing. And then once they got started, they were going to run 10 miles. So they either did 10 miles or did no miles. And there was kind of no in between. And they unlocked that truth. And then they realized like, wow, it's kind of similar for all these other sports as well. Mm-hmm. And they unlocked that. So if you're just starting out right now, you're like, yeah, it's always cool to have or at least it's, it's a natural thought. Like, oh, if I had $10 million budget and a couple of celebrities, it'd be great. But I can tell you, and I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen up close. If you don't have that focus and that clear idea, you will waste $10 million. Like, and that's where marketing, um, I think that's the perfect example that marketing is not just a, a cost center. You can go do all of this cool, fun shit, I've seen people sponsor events internationally at these iconic venues and locations. And they had all these A-list celebrities there and it it did not move the business at all because it wasn't focused on who your target consumer was. It wasn't having empathy for their situation and being able to solve their problems and deliver a clear message to them. So I think it's, I think it's cool. And I I thank you brother, man, for um, hopping on here. It's, It's been, it's been, too long. Um, I think the last time we saw each other was in Indianapolis. Big, big Ten title game, right? Big, big Ten championship. So it's positive, positive memories. Hopefully, uh, we uh, we connect again at the next Big Ten championship. But um, I I appreciate you coming on here, man. It's super super beneficial. I think for me to just sit here and swap ideas. I, I was taking notes while we were talking. But for folks out here who listen to to Bootstraps and are trying to be better in their careers as marketers for these large organizations and specifically for folks who are trying to figure out how to build their brand from the ground up, like I'm trying to do with 31st. I think we all can benefit from the wisdom you shared today. I love it, man. Appreciate the opportunity. Good to catch up. Most definitely, bro. Talk soon, man. All right. There. Peace. Yo, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Bootstraps. You know, as a as a podcast and as a platform, we can't grow without you all. So if you are enjoying this Bootstraps podcast, please do us a favor if you haven't already. Go on over and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Give us a positive rating and review if you are enjoying the podcast. And most importantly, Please share it around with your friends. You know, the best marketing is word of mouth marketing. The way in which things grow is when we share it with each other. And until next time, remember, it's not about being perfect. It's about being better than you are yesterday.